All right, Northwest kids, I want all of you to look at me very quickly, okay? I hope that you know, I hope you know this morning, Northwest kids, that your parents love you so much. But I also hope you know that even though your parents love you so much, God loves you so much more than your parents ever could. And with that in mind, uh, it's time to go find your teachers to your classes to learn about this God who has this type of love for you. The rest of you, open up your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. And yes, I am going to tell you what's in my hand in a second. Genesis chapter 25. So we're starting a new series today. Uh, on the life of a man named Jacob. And the story of Jacob is found in Genesis 25 through Genesis 35. And like all of us, Jacob's story, it unfolds within a bigger story, a more complicated story, which is the story of his family. And so what we decided to do today, you can take a look at this, um, when I think about families, I, I'm a child of the 90s. I grew up watching 90s sitcoms. And so uh, when I think about kind of dysfunctional but kind of, but kind of a lovable families, you know, I, I think of 90s sitcoms. And so what we decided to do, uh, we decided to ask our uh, friendly neighborhood AI bot uh, to imagine for us what Jacob and his family might look like if they were the subject of a 90s sitcom, okay? So this is what we came up with here. So you see Jacob in the middle, and we see the rest of his family. And so uh, this is Jacob and his family, not really, but you know, this is help, maybe helps you imagine them a little bit. But you see, uh, yeah. Um, but over the next eight weeks that we're looking at the life of Jacob in this series, you're going to get to know uh, each of these characters in various different ways. But, but for now, what I want to tell you is that in Jacob's family, there's kind of two main themes, okay? Two, two themes that we hope you'll walk away from this series with. Number one, Jacob is a messed up guy from a messed up family. Jacob's family makes the Kardashians look like the Brady Bunch, okay? He's a messed up guy from a messed up family. But at the same time, he has a faithful God that loves him and takes care of him in spite of the mess that he is and the mess that he experiences within his family. So look with me at Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse 19. Let's read these verses that describe for us this messed up family that God is so faithful to. Will you read this with me today? Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. 
And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The older one shall be strong, one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, his body like a hairy cloak, and so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob, he was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So if you listen carefully to this story, it's clear that there's some problems in this family and that Jacob is hurt by his family and that he also hurts other members of his family, especially his brother Esau. As we think about ways that we've experienced our families, particularly ways that we might have been hurt in the families that we grew up in, there's kind of two mistakes that people make a lot. The first mistake, this is very common among, this is kind of an old school thing, right, which is that you don't talk bad about your family ever. It's disrespectful, right? So if your family uh, was dysfunctional, if your family uh, had sin, if you were hurt growing up in your family, you just don't talk about it. You, you, you just ignore it. This is particularly common in a lot of, uh, of Asian cultures, uh, in, in Indian culture, and in, in American culture, especially among uh, older generations, among baby boomers, and also among uh, Gen, Gen X. You, you don't talk about it. You suck it up. You, you just, you know, don't complain. You have it better than most. That's the first error. But the second mistake, the second error that we often make is kind of the the new school mistake. And this is much more common among people like myself who are millennials or like some of you high school and middle school students, you know, Gen Z and younger. And that's the opposite mistake, which is to say we spend so much time thinking about all the ways that we've been hurt and all the ways that we've been wronged that we just kind of wallow in it. And we have this mentality where we, we feel like a victim, and oh, poor me, look at all these things that have happened to me, and we start making excuses for ourselves because after all, look at all I had to put up with in my family growing up. Well, today, God, through this passage, is offering to us a new way a new way to think about your family and the difficult things that have happened in your family growing up. And that is on the one hand, to recognize the ways that your family was messed up and the way you were hurt by that as you were growing up. But on the other hand, 
not just having the victim mentality and getting stuck in that and kind of wallowing in that, but instead looking away from yourself, looking away from the problems that you have, and instead looking away from the messed up family to the faithful God who takes care of you in spite of all the things that you've experienced and that you've gone through. So the message today, we're going to have two points, real simple, two points. We're going to talk about, first of all, the messed up family. And I hope as we see this that you'll think about your family as well. The messed up family, and second of all, we're going to see the faithful God. Okay, so let's look at the first one, the messed up family. So in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, so uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, after 20 years of infertility, she finally gets pregnant. And when she gets pregnant, I mean, no pregnancy is, is, is comfortable, but, but this was, was something else. It was like there was a UFC fight going on inside of her stomach, right? Like it was, it was just intense. And so she goes and she prays to God and she says, what's going on? And God tells her, something very surprising, something that maybe to you doesn't seem that surprising, but for people back then, it would, have been, it would have been shocking, and frankly, it would have been offensive. In verse 23, God tells her, first of all, your good news is you're having twins, but the, you know, the, the more difficult news, he says, that two nations are in your womb and peoples from within you shall be divided, so there will be conflict. But the real surprising thing is at the end of verse 23, where he says, the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Well, this would have been really shocking for Rebecca to hear, because back in those days, they practiced what can be called the tradition of the birthright of the firstborn son. The birthright of the firstborn son. Basically what that means is that when the, the father died, he would divide his, his estate and he would give an inheritance to each of his kids, but the, the firstborn son would get a double portion of the inheritance. He would get more. But what's more important than that, what's even more significant, is that after the father dies, the firstborn son takes over the position as the spiritual head or the spiritual leader of the family, okay? And this was a big deal. So here God is saying, yeah, one will be stronger than the other, but it won't be like it typically is where the younger one has to serve the older one. It'll be the older one that serves the younger one, okay? That's important to remember going forward. Well, let's look at verse 24, and this is where we really start to see the, the mess that's within this family. We start to see the sin of, uh, first of all, the parents coming out. Uh, go ahead to the slide with uh, the picture of Jacob and Esau. Are we there? There we go. So let's zoom in on, uh, on Jacob and Esau. So uh, first of all, let's look at their birth. So when, when Esau, Esau is the firstborn, the first son comes out and it says that his body was like a hairy cloak. All right, so Esau is just like this kind of red little fuzzball, <laughs> okay? He's covered with, with red hair. And so they call him Esau, which in Hebrew means red. <laughs> they call him red because he was covered with red hair. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, Jacob came out second, but as he came out, you know, the twins, they come out together, 
as, as he came out, he was, he was grabbing on to Esau's heel. He was grabbing on to his foot. And so they call him Jacob because in Hebrew, Jacob means somebody who grabs the heel, somebody who grabs at somebody's heel. Now, that might sound like a strange name, not too much worse than Red, <laughs> um, but it's actually kind of an offensive name because back in those times, the, the phrase to grab somebody's heel was another way of saying to deceive somebody or to trick somebody. You guys ever watch uh, Looney Tunes? You know Bugs Bunny? I think Bugs Bunny is Looney Tunes, right? So Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd's chasing him, and Bugs Bunny, he's always outsmarts him. Like, he doesn't have the gun, but he, he's smart and he's clever, so he always kind of outwits him. And, and he kind of goes and hides, and Elver, Elmer Fudd's running around the corner, and Bugs Bunny just, whoop! And Elmer Fudd goes, tumble, 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 tumble. Right? And then he has his little, like, ah, what's up, Doc? That thing, I'm not going to try to do it. But, uh, but so that, that's the idea that, that's uh, of Jacob's name here. It's the idea that he's the, he's the person that trips you up when you least expect it. He's the scam artist. He's the trickster. He's the manipulator. Not in very overt ways, but just when you think you're okay, then boop. And he trips you up and he takes advantage of you. Well, so it says that when they grew up, in verse 27, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field. So put this in today's terms, and we tried to visualize this for you on the, uh, in the picture there. Picture Esau as this kind of big, burly, you know, very kind of hyper-masculine guy. You know, Esau is the guy that had a full beard by the time he was 16. <laughs> you know, he's, the, he's the athlete. Um, he's the, the guy at the gym that can, that can bench three plates, no problem, right? He's, the, he's what we would think of as like the, the man's man, Right? Now, Jacob, on the other hand, Jacob is what Jim Gaffigan would probably call indoorsy, okay? It says he was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. So Jacob was, was the guy that w did not maybe fit the cultural stereotype of the big, rugged masculinity. Jacob probably liked to wear nice clothes. Jacob might have been the guy that when he was in college, he was afraid to take his shirt off at the pool because he was so scrawny, right? So you have Esau, big burly Esau, and, and then you have the, the quiet, contemplative, manipulative Jacob. And what it says in verse 28 is, is very tragic. And this is where we see the sin of the parents. It says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You can just imagine Isaac, you know, talking to his buddies saying, you see how many touchdowns my boy threw at the game? You see the, you see the deer that my boy Esau came back with last week? That's my boy. Right? So he loved Esau, but Rebecca saw more of herself in Jacob, the quiet son. And so this is a really good point for us to think about as parents. If you're a parent here, I want you to listen to this very carefully. The sin of Isaac and Rebekah that ends up wreaking havoc on their family is favoritism. 
Isaac and Rebekah cared more about what they wanted their kids to become than what God wanted their kids to become. And so if you're here like myself and you have the privilege of being a parent, whether your kids are college, high school, you know, middle school, or in critters, whatever it is, be very careful not to show favoritism within your family. Dads, maybe you love football. And maybe God will give you a son who wants to join the drama club. Mothers, maybe you're very social and outgoing and friendly and God will give you a daughter who's a bookworm and is more introverted. If you're taking notes, write this down, okay? It is not your job to turn your kids into many versions of yourself. As a parent, it's our job to love our kids unconditionally and to train them to follow Jesus. And to do that regardless of their hobbies, of their personalities, of their interests, of their physical appearance. Okay? So that's the sin of the parents. But let's also look at the messed up, not only the messed up parents, let's look at the messed up kids. So fast forward a number of years, and Jacob and Esau have grown up. And in verse 29, we see this scene where Jacob really starts to live up to his name. So true to form, Jacob's, or Esau's been out in the fields hunting, you know, camping, you know, whatever he's doing. And Jacob's been at home cooking. And one day, Esau comes home, and he's exhausted. He's tired, and he's hungry. And I think you really have to understand, you have to put yourself in Jacob's shoes here. His entire life, he's had to listen to his dad say, why are you such a sissy? Why can't you be more like your brother Esau? Why can't you be a real man like Esau? Well, now the tables have turned. And now Jacob's in the strong position. And Esau's in the weak position. And what Jacob does here is he sees an opportunity. And in his brother's time of, of need, when his brother is hurting, he reaches out his, for the first of many times in his life, he, he, reach, he reaches out and he grabs the heel. He reaches out just like Bugs Bunny and trips Elmer Fudd. He says, sell me your birthright now. Remember the birthrights? the extra portion of inheritance and the privilege of being the spiritual head of the family. He says, sell me your birthright now. And that's Jacob's sin, is that he takes advantage. He's deceptive, he's deceitful, he's manipulative, and he takes advantage of the people around him. Here, he takes advantage of his brother Esau. But in this passage, we also, maybe even more clearly, we see some of Esau's sin. See, Esau in Esau's response 
it shows that he's somebody that doesn't really care about spiritual things. He's somebody that's more concerned at immediate gra- about immediate gratification than pursuing things like spiritual blessing. Esau says, he says, I'm about to die of what use, of what use is a birthright to me? Now, he's probably not about to die. You know, it's like when your kids are like, I'm starving. Like, you're not starving. You know, you had a snack 10 minutes ago or whatever. You know, he, he's, not, he's not about to die, but he's like, oh, I'm about to die. And ja- when, when Jacob says, hey, well, why don't you sell me your birthright? I'll give you a bowl of stew. Esau's response is like, well, who, who cares about these kind of far off things like God and spiritual blessing and being a spiritual leader in the family? He's hungry. <laughs> he wants food and he wants it right now. And so just like Adam and Eve way back in Genesis 3 in the garden, Esau, he trades spiritual blessing for something good to eat. So Esau's sin is that he's more concerned with immediate gratification than spiritual things. And he doesn't even care either. In verse 34, at the end, it says, he ate and he drank and he, and he w- rose and he went on his way. He says, you know, that's done with. Not glad I've got a full belly. On to the next thing. And so therefore, he despised his birthright. Okay, so let, let's think about this for a minute. How does this apply to us? Remember at the beginning I said there's two, there's two common mistakes that we make when we, like Jacob, have imperfect families. And, and all of us, I think it's just, you know, I think we should all just recognize all of us have, none of us have perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. In one way or another, all of our families have sin. In one way or another, all of our families are, are messed up by sin. And the question is, what are we going to do about that? There's those two things, there are two extremes. The one we can, the old school, we, we ignore it and just don't talk about it, tough it out. And then the, the new school approach, which is to just wallow in it and think about it so much that we develop this victim mentality. Let me give you three principles, three things to do as we try to understand from a biblical perspective, what should you do if you have been hurt by your family growing up. The first one is to recognize the way that your family has hurt you. To recognize the way that your family has hurt you. These are the heroes of the Jewish faith. Isaac Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, these are the heroes of the Jewish faith. It would have been so easy to not include these stories in the Bible, but as God is introducing this guy Jacob to us, he doesn't just start when Jacob's older, he starts at the very beginning and as if he's saying, hey, if you want to understand Jacob, You can't understand Jacob without understanding that he had a father like Isaac who didn't love him, and he had an older brother like Esau. 
You want to understand Jacob? You have to start by understanding the messed up family that he was a part of. So let me ask you this question. And again, maybe if you kind of subscribe to that old school approach, maybe this just sounds like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> but how have you, if you experienced dysfunction and sin in your family growing up, how have you been hurt by your family as you were growing up? Maybe this week, if you're somebody who tends to want to ignore the negative things in your family and to not take into account how that affects you, maybe this week what you need to do is take that first brave step towards starting to be honest about the fact that your parents, like my parents, like I myself as a parent, are not perfect. Maybe you even try this. Maybe you even write an imaginary letter to your parents. Maybe you sit down this week and write an imaginary letter to your parents. I say imaginary because you don't have to send it to them. Maybe your parents have passed away years ago. But there's a way for you to process and be honest with yourself before God. Maybe you sit down and you write an imaginary letter to your parents. If there's something, I'm scared to say it. I don't think I'd ever have the guts to say it to them face to face. But if there's, this is something I wish I could say to my parents. Maybe that would be a step for you to stop ignoring and whitewashing your family's past and to start recognizing the way that your family has hurt you. Second of all, take responsibility for your own sin. Take responsibility for your own sin. So remember the new school approach would be to say, for crying out loud, Jacob had a misogynistic father and a smothering, manipulative mother. It's not his fault that he became a deceiver. It's not his fault that he took advantage of his brother Esau like that. After all, hurt people hurt people. What can you expect? He's just a product of his environment. But the Bible does not let Jacob do that. The Bible recognizes that he came, comes from a messed up family and that that's hurt him very deeply. But the Bible also recognizes that Jacob himself sins in response to being sinned against. The rest of the story of Jacob that we're going to see over the next seven weeks is basically one long story of God chasing Jacob down and forcing him to admit his sin. Forcing him to admit that not only was he sinned against, he's also sinned against other people. So my question for you is, 
how have you sinned in response to the ways that other people, in particular your families, have hurt you? How have you sinned as a response to the way that people have hurt you and sinned against you? And what would it look like for you to stop making excuses, to stop playing the victim, and to truly take responsibility for your own sin and the way that you've hurt other people? Maybe you're like Jacob. Maybe you have been hurt by other people, just like Jacob was hurt by Isaac. And so as a response to that, he dished it out to Esau. Maybe that's the way you are. Maybe you've hurt people very deeply, and you might tend to say, well, this isn't my fault, because after all, look at what I grew up with. Look at all the things people have done to me. And it's true that hurt people hurt people. But it's also true that the reason sin comes out of us is not because sin is done to us, but because there's sin inside of us. Maybe this week, there's some time you need to spend before God, stop making excuses, and confessing that sin before God. Maybe there's even people that are in this room. <laughs> Maybe there's people that you need to call on the phone this week that you've never been willing to take responsibility for the ways you've hurt them because you're so consumed with, well, I just did that because they did X, Y, and Z to me. Maybe on the other hand, you're like Esau. Remember, Esau had no interest in spiritual things. Maybe there's somebody today that you grew up with legalistic, or hypocritical religious parents. And as a result of that, that's caused you to run the other way and to not have any interest in spiritual things. After all, look at all the hypocritical pastors, look at all the hypocritical deacons, look at all of the churches that are built on consumerism or built on lies or built on money or stuff like that. When are you going to stop using that as an excuse for not pursuing your relationship with God? When are you going to start not letting the hypocrisy of other people in your life keep you from experiencing the relationship with God that he wants you to have? Maybe this week, you make a new commitment to say, hey, you know what? My parents were uber sticklers about me reading my Bible so much that I just hate it. And whenever I think about the Bible, I think of condemnation and judgment and shame and all this stuff. Okay, that's true. Recognize that. Be honest about that. But maybe you say, I'm going to start reading my Bible on a consistent basis this week. Not because mom and dad are going to get mad if I don't, but because I'm not going to let other people's sin keep me from having the relationship with God that he wants me to have. Maybe you make a new commitment to pray on a regular basis. Maybe you say, hey, you know what? We're going to prioritize coming to worship on Sunday morning as a family. Well, I said at the beginning that what we want to do 
is not ignore the ways we've been hurt by our families, not wallow in it and have the victim mentality, but instead look away from the messed up family, from this messed up family or from this messed up family or from all of your messed up families, and instead look to the faithful God that takes care of us. In Genesis chapter 32, as Jacob is reflecting on his life, after God has done a lot of his work on him, in Genesis chapter, two, uh, chapter 32, verse 10, listen to what Jacob says here. He says to God, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. He says, I am not worthy, God, of all of the ways you've been faithful to me and the way you've shown me steadfast love. Remember Pastor Matt at the beginning talked to us about God's steadfast love in Psalm 145? This word that Jacob uses when he says, I'm not worthy of all of the steadfast love that God has shown me and my family. This is the Hebrew word chesed. Everybody say that. You've got to clear your throat. Chesed. All right? This is a famously difficult word to translate. Your translation might say steadfast love. Your translation might say unfailing love. Your translation might say faithful love. Personally, my favorite translation of this word is in the Jesus Storybook Bible, where it translates it as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is the type of love that if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, you have access to this love through Jesus Christ today. If you are a Christian, this is the type of love that God has for you. Look at me very carefully as we, as we end the bank and come back on the stage. If you don't get anything else out of this message, remember this. Jacob is a messed up guy. And he comes from a messed up family. But he's going to be okay. Why? Because God loves him. He loves him with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. See, God uses this messed up family to literally save the world by bringing Jesus Christ through this family. Imagine what he wants to do through you and through your family if you look away from how messed up you are and how messed up your family is and instead turn your eyes with a fresh commitment to the faithful God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I pray that anybody here that's 
been trying to ignore or maybe whitewash ways that they've been hurt by their families growing up, I just pray you would give them a safe place to be honest about that. I pray for good conversations and prayer with you this week about those hurts that they've experienced. And God, I pray for anybody that feels sorry for themselves, anybody that feels that they're just destined to be a mess because their family was a mess. God, I pray that you would encourage them, would you strengthen them, and I pray for all of us, God, help us to take, to take responsibility for our own sin and to look and trust in your faithful, steadfast love to us that you show us in Jesus. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen.